So in this third week of Lent, we have another unique, beautiful story of an interaction between a Jesus and um, a person um, engaging him or being engaged by him. Last week was Nicodemus, a great sermon from, from Taylor uh, on that. Next week, we have another one. Next week is a story about Jesus interacting with a blind man. Um, these are unique and you know, beautiful uh, stories that only John brings, that John, in his uh, way that he is presenting the gospel for us. Last week, it was about a Pharisee, a religious leader. Um, This week, we hear about Jesus encountering a woman who is a Samaritan, who's been married numerous times and is living with someone who's not her husband. Just a little bit of backstory before we get in. The Samaritans Uh, You might have heard in the gospel reading, John puts a parenthesis in there, uh, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They were basically despised. They were kind of half-breeds to the Jews. That's how they thought of them. They had corrupted the religion. We hear in the, the story that Samaritans think God ordained a mountain in Samaria, which is between Jerusalem and Galilee. Um, and they loved the Pentateuch, but they didn't really care much for the prophets. And um, yeah, so lots of, of weird stuff going on there. And, and lastly, by way of setting up the story, um, we have Jesus in Samaria, and John says he sits down at Jacob's well. Um, Already in the narrative, John has already presented Jesus twice as a bridegroom. One in him providing wine for the miracle at the wedding in Cana. That's what the bridegroom was supposed to do. So Jesus stepped in. And John the Baptist refers to him as the bridegroom just two paragraphs before our story today. Jacob met beheld his beloved wife, Rachel, at a well. A couple of chapters after the Exodus story, the Jews believe that God brought Israel to himself to marry them, to be their husband, and the marriage covenant was the whole Mount Sinai event. So part of what's going on here, we're not going to dig much further into it except for this part, and that is God's desire for, God's alluring, God drawing his people to himself. That my people have strayed from this relationship, but I still long for them. And so John begins the story with Jesus sitting by Jacob's well at high noon, and this woman from Samaria comes to draw water, And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Breaking protocol in more than one way. Speaking to a woman, engaging with a Samaritan, give me a drink. He expresses a need and a desire, and he asks for a response. Now, this is essentially what the Israelites said in the, in the desert. I don't know if you caught that. They said, give us water to drink. 
So same message, but very different heart. Give me a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Living water. Not stagnant well water. Living water is a beautiful image in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew. It, it actually rhymes. It's mayim chayim. It's, it's about moving water. Water that's not still. Water that is being cleansed by moving over rocks and gravel. And it's the best water to drink. In Jewish teaching, it's the best water in which to be uh, baptized or have, have ritual cleansing. Moving water, living water. Water that's alive. So back. She asked him a question like, what are you talking about? Like, where are you going to get this water? So Jesus also says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Did you hear that? The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water in them welling up to eternal life. A spring of water in them. Jesus knows her. Jesus knows her story. And Jesus knows that she's thirsty too. He's thirsty and she's thirsty. Jesus says this living water that he will give will not only quench this spiritual or existential thirst, if you will, that's one thing. But he also says that water that I give will actually start bubbling up deep within you. To water, to refresh, to give life. Um, this could be a metaphor. In fact, it is used as a beautiful metaphor in the history of uh, the spiritual life and the life of prayer. Um, some people who uh, knew a lot more about prayer than I do um, use this image about moving from when we begin our life with God, um, connecting with God is a lot of work. It's kind of like looking for a well or digging a well. It's kind of like having to go somewhere and 
and finally find the well and then like the work of dropping the jar down in the well and then pulling it back up and thankful, like refreshed, thankful. And yet God is put within us and God longs for us as, as we grow and as we begin to get in touch with what God is doing that we begin to discover that comfort, that consolation, that sense of God's presence is not only out there, something I have to do some work, like get rid of my sins and learn how to pray and learn how to read the Bible. It's also within. To believe and to drink of the water, the very Spirit of God that Jesus gives will satisfy a very real human thirst without which we will die. But it also, Jesus promises, is also deep within, bubbling up, living, alive, and active. I've been thinking... Um, about this for a while, I had to do, um, for the spiritual direction work that I'm doing, I had to do a presentation for the class, and I chose to do one on a, a way of praying that is more quiet and, and more silent than, than active, like the, the well stuff. And one of the challenges... Um, was with this form of prayer. Well, I'll just read what, what this fellow said. He said, at the beginning of the prayer, we take a minute or two to quiet down. Love it. At the beginning of the prayer, we take a minute or two to quiet down and then move in faith to God dwelling in our depths. And I can't tell you, that's like, that sounds like I, I believe it on one level, but when you move it into like prayer and connecting with God, I mean, I'm getting nervous right now. I mean, that feels like, is that heretical? Like, am I praying to myself? No. No. Uh, there is both God within and God beyond. God is absolutely beyond. Above, beyond but Jesus says, and it's not, this is not the only place we have it, that God pours a well of life, which is his Holy Spirit, in the very depth of our heart. And whatever metaphors we want to use, I've been at this 49 years actively, and recognize that there's stuff blocking my well. There's a lot of stuff distracting me from connecting with that life deep within me. So hold that, that challenge, that idea. When Jesus, uh, when, the, when the woman engages Jesus affirmatively, 
desiring, not really knowing, but desiring this water that Jesus is offering, Jesus moves towards her another step. Okay, he already expressed his desire in saying, I thirst, and moving toward her. He engages, we're not going to, you know, parse out these two engagements, but there's two separate engagements as Jesus moves towards her. He knows there are two barriers, two complications, at least in her life, that keep her coming to this lonely well in the middle of the day when no one gets their water. And it has to do with her relational brokenness and her religious whatever, mixed up itness. He engages her in both of these areas. And I leave it, it's a long gospel. You could spend all week and all month like meditating on it. But I want to call attention to how um, she ends these two discussions. Uh, she says, I know the Messiah is coming. I know the Messiah is coming. So you can, you, she's being stirred. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. All this stuff about worship, whether Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, he'll the Messiah will proclaim to us all things. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. It's striking in the Greek. That's a fine translation, but it's striking in the Greek. In the Greek, it says, I am the one who is speaking to you. Ego eimi, I am Yahweh. God is seeking her, alluring her. It clicks for her that indeed, Maybe he is the Messiah. She goes on to say, can he be the Christ? And that he will not only proclaim to the people all they need to know about worship, but that he will tell her, he has told her all the things about her story. And he's still moving toward her. Jesus is saying to her, I have a new story for you. I have newness for your life. He sees her. He knows her whole story. And he's still engaging her. Jesus sees you. Jesus is thirsty for you. Jesus is desiring connection, deep communion, for you to know the delight and the comfort of being with the one who loves you Unbelievably. That water was stirring up in her. That water was bubbling. So much so, 
it says she left her water jar and she went to share the good news. She didn't need her water jar. The refreshment, the nurturing, the quenching, in the, in the good way, the quenching of, of thirst and desire is all both within us and beyond us. We need both. You came here today. That's a good thing. That, that's like finding the well and doing some work to get the water, get the consolation, get the comfort, get the strength, get the encouragement. We are to do that. But Jesus is alluring us to be with us and to somehow begin to find more and more a depth of presence deep within. Just about ready to land the plane. We will hear of Jesus' thirst only one more time in John's gospel. And it's moments before soldiers pierce his side, out of which blood and water poured. As Jesus lived our life story, as Jesus took on himself the whole human story, it culminated in that moment on that cross bearing all of our misplaced desire, all of our trying to find life and peace and strength and comfort and encouragement in all the wrong places and all the death that that brings, Jesus bore in his body. And in his final moments, he says, I thirst. I desire the people I made, the people I love, the people whose very being I uphold, even though they give very little thought to me. The people in the story in Exodus angrily, grumblingly said, is the Lord among us or not? We suspect he brought us here to kill us by thirst. The woman answered that question too. She basically is saying, I think the Lord's among us. And he doesn't want us to die of thirst. And she, in the words of Psalm 95, when she heard his voice, she did not harden her heart. And she found alive water. So I think that question in this encounter may be a good Lenten question. Posed differently, but how is the Lord among us? How is the Lord among us? And how is the Lord in me? And can I begin 
to discover and to nurture and to slow down enough to begin to sort of tap in to that deep spring of Holy Spirit, God within. In our emotionally healthy spirituality, one of the things we commit to is two minutes of silence before and after a devotional, teaching us to slow down, stop the grasping, stop the digging, stop just, but what might, I, I mean, I'm on a hobby horse of silence these days, if you've spent any time with me. Um, and, and so I, I you know, I, I would encourage that, but I would, you know, God's already there. God's already desiring you in you. What might these days of Lent be to access that? The one who made you, who is the very source of your life, loves you, sees you, knows all your brokenness and all your confusion. And he says, I have an amazing gift for you. Can we relax into his love? Amen.